Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the authors under the spotlight. I can't wait to get started. Um, I always had uh, a great feeling whenever I played against Everton as a player, playing at Goodison, felt the atmosphere, felt the passion of the fans. And um, yeah, very hungry to get started. Hi Evertonians, Tony van der Beek here. I can't wait to see you in the stadium and I, I will give everything what I have and I hope to see you soon. This week our focus is on Everton. Why they've turned to Frank Lampard, deadline day arrivals Donny van der Beek and Deli Alley, and also will be joined by both of the Athletics Everton correspondents Greg O'Keefe and Paddy Boyland. Big, big show today. So much to discuss and flow. It feels like the perfect club to focus on, really, Everton, because it's been a whirlwind end to this month's transfer window for them. But before we do bring the guys in, the best signing of January. I'm really excited about Deli Alley going to Everton. Um, there's something Topical. that makes me really sad about players who are wasting some of the best years of their career, especially a talent like him. I was nearly brought to tears by the Spurs thank you video for Dele Alley, And it reminded me, I mean, it was very emotive. Um, when you look at some of the goals that he scored for Spurs, you're just like, how is a player of like of that quality, of that much, with that much talent, of that much skill and ability, just wasting away somewhere? So I'm, I'm mm. really excited because I think this is such a good opportunity for someone to just completely reset their whole career. I mean, he's only 25, for God's sake. Like, it's ridiculous. And Lucas Moura. Oh, they done it! I cannot believe it! Tottenham Hotspur are heading to the Champions League final! Travelled around the world and we still roaming soon. And as much as we like to talk about how much Premier League play, players get to earn throughout their careers and how much footballers earn, you know, these guys have a very finite window to make bank for life. You know, they, they need to maximise their careers, not just financially, but, you know, from a career point of view. Imagine if you were told you only, you know, you can only work for X amount of years to, and enjoy your, you know, your dream job. I'm really excited to see that he's found a place and I'm disappointed that, Jesse Lingard didn't didn't get the same sort of uh, fairy tale ending, shall we say? Yeah, well, I'm doing it, Flo. I'm doing it. Working with you on the podcast, I'm doing that <laughs> Shut job up. Right, right, right now. I mean, you haven't asked me who I thought, so I'll bring I'll bring myself in. No, no. Uh, t- t- no tell no, me, Dan. No, please no, no. share, share. 
Uh, I don't think he's the best. I'm not answering the question, but I'm going to say Luis Diaz is the one that intrigues me the most coming into Liverpool because I think we've all wondered how that Liverpool front three is going to evolve over time. We've kind of seen it a little bit with Jota coming in. It reminds me a little bit of that signing. I think Luis Diaz is probably Mane's long-term replacement. I'm just really interested to see how Klopp goes about phasing that front three out whilst they're all still there. Like he has, because he's faced for me now out a little bit with Jota. Jota's kind of come in and, and usurped him. So I just, I just think that's a really interesting signing. And it was so unexpected as well. I don't think at the start of the window anyone was expecting Liverpool to be that active. So that's probably one of the ones that intrigues me the most. There's been plenty of deadline day and January content up on The Athletic all month. And if you're not already subscribed, you can do so today for just £3.33 a month for 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll enjoy unrivaled sports writing as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. Let's bring in the Everton boys then. We've got Paddy Boyland and Greg O'Keefe with us to talk about a whirlwind month, a crazy month for Everton this January. Welcome, guys. Greg, I saw your tweet last night through Telegate. I mean, just just sum up what it's been like work, working around Everton Football Club this month. <laughs> yeah, manic, mate. As you're right, it's been... Paddy and I have both been you know, incredibly busy, as has probably everybody around the club in a professional capacity and the fans as well in terms of just checking social media every five minutes. But yesterday was quite unlike any day covering Everton I've ever experienced in the sense that we got the confirmation of a new manager, his backroom team, and two pretty significant signings, Donny van der Beek, and then right at the bitter, bitter end, Deli Ali coming in confirmed at 20 past midnight, I think it was. So it was a long day, long week, long month, and um, I'd be lying if I said I'm, I'm not looking forward to dare I say, a little bit of stability. I mean, probably the last thing either of you want to do is be coming on a podcast now and talking about the last month or so. But but Paddy, just give us a little bit of a refresher at what's been happening at Goodison Park since Rafa got the boot. Yeah, so obviously Rafa Benitez left shortly after the defeat to Norwich. So we're talking about mid-January. And I, su- I suppose since then, the process has been about mainly appointing a new manager, but also simultaneously improving a squad. That is an urgent need of reinforcement while not having a manager in situ. So, so you can imagine there that's, I mean, it, it's plenty of upheaval across the board, plenty of stuff to to get right, things to put right. And there's not even a recruitment structure in place uh, as well. So um, carnage is one word that comes to mind that went described in the last few weeks. Although I do have to say that all things considered, I think they've kind of made a fair amount of progress recently. Greg talks about deadline day. You've got a new manager, new backroom staff, and two new signings through the door. Uh, so they are heading in the right direction. A lot of ground still to make up, but they're heading in the right direction finally. And how did the Lampard appointment come about? Because, I mean, just a week ago, no one probably saw it coming. And, and now a lot of people would say, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we wrote a long piece about this earlier in the week and I think one of the things we found particularly interesting in our research was that even as far back as the summer, kind of quite senior figures at Goodison were championing Lampard as a as a potential option. I suppose from my point of view, there's, there's always been a little bit of a division inside the club, a little bit of uncertainty as to which way to go when it comes to new appointments and new signings. Do they go for the experienced heads, proven talents, even in some cases, stars on slightly on the way. And when you look at James Rodriguez and, and Carlo Ancelotti, or do they go down a completely different route, which I'd suggest Lampard is in this case, which is 
young up and coming manager in progressive style. Um, in this case, the, the latter is one out, but they've lurched between those two for too long. In my opinion, it's now probably time to just settle in on one philosophy, one structure, one style. And, and I think if they do that, they'll be on a much better footing. I mean, Greg, the manager list was unbelievable. All kinds of managers have been linked with it. I was a little bit disappointed not to get linked myself, actually, because so many people have been linked with the job. It feels like everyone in football is, is potentially rocking up at Goodison to take that job. You know, we've had Martinez, Cannavaro, Favre, even big Duncan Ferguson, you know, there was talk of him getting the gig full-time. How badly do they need to get this right? Because they have got an awful lot wrong over the last few years. They have, yeah. Most recently, the you know... Uh... Lampard's predecessor, Rafa Benitez, who I think was probably only Benitez and Fad Mishiri who had any hope that that would work out in any other way than badly. That was that was a badly constructed sentence. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> Mishiri's made some daft decisions. Um, he's he's not listened to the council of people around him and, and people urging him to, you know, make more straightforward well thought out streamlined decisions not just managerially but in terms of structure of the club in general and he's ploughed on um, hiring and firing and it, it, as Paddy said it really hasn't contributed to a club that works in any way functionally and it's got to the point now where you know Everton are dicing with relegation and um, things got really bad back in last week with protests outside the stadium and some really unseemly you know kind of vandalism of the ground and uh, a lot of unrest um, encapsulated even with Vito Pereira one of the candidates going on Sky to give like a semi-desperate pitch to try and win back the momentum in the managerial race with Frank Lampard obviously that didn't work and yeah it's just been it's been a bit of a joke club I think and certainly chaotic and uh, they need to Everton haven't been about that traditionally Everton have been a club that have done things the right way that if anything, have been respected by the peers in the Premier League and uh, sadly that's been stripped away last uh, six, seven years and they need to just find that back. Uh, but more than anything else, they, Lampard needs to hit the ground running and, and get points. That's absolutely his, his priority because um, it's, it's not quite crisis station yet in terms of the, the sort of bottom of the table for Everton. But it could easily happen if he can't um, if he can't spark a, a quick turnaround in the confidence of the players. It was interesting. Paddy retweeted um, some footage of him on the training ground this morning. And the session looked good. I mean, he was sort of there on the touchline, really involved, which hasn't always been the way with different coaches in the past at Everton, different styles. But quite a few of them have just left it to the coaching staff while they've sat in the office and Lampard seemed right in the thick of it and there just did seem to be a bit of a fresh impetus in the spring the players steps and hopefully that's uh, in evidence on Saturday in the FA Cup and then in a huge game at St James's Park next Wednesday. And the interview process itself for Lampard was quite interesting wasn't it especially when it comes to the panel that was put together in order yeah. to do that interview and, and he really stood out to that panel. Yeah he did he, he fired Michelle he's spoken and Bill Kenwright since giving him the job about how what, what a good impression he made. I know um, David Ornstein was, was speaking about, uh, he'd spoken to Source who said that Lampard's presentation in particular was super detailed, really in-depth, and that kind of had the board very impressed. And, you know, I think it's it's standard now in, in, in elite management sort of interviews where they will do a quite in-depth presentation. So Everton have... Everton's board have seen a few of them in the last six years, given the amount of uh, turmoil in, in the dugout they've had. 
So to say that this stood out is probably an indication of how much Lampard really wanted it, how much he went for it, how well prepared he was. And um, I think, I like to hope it was more than just saying the right things. It was the fact that he's really impressed them as, as a manager who uh, is ready to go again after the sort of highs and lows of his spell at Stamford Bridge and, you know, the, the early promise at Derby. Um, because it's a big, you know, it's a big, big job for Lampard too. He could have, he could easily have chosen a, a less high profile, less pressurised job. Um, so I'm enthused that he, you know, he clearly had no issue about being out of the game for a while. Uh, he, he didn't, because he, you know, he passed on Norwich. Um, he didn't pass on Villa. I think they just, it, it didn't work out and they went for someone else, obviously in Gerard. But um, it's a bold move for both parties, I think. Yeah, I read Ali Kaye's piece yesterday. He talked about the interview, sorry, that he did with Gary Neville on the overlap where Fran Lampard was talking about waiting for the right club. You know, from the outside looking in and looking at what Vieira's done at Crystal Palace, it almost feels like that would have been a, an easier job and he, and he kind of didn't want that. He's taking the Everton job. What do you think it is about Everton that makes him think it's, it's the right club for him? Because I look at it and just think, that is a tough, tough gig. It is a tough gig. <laughs> You're entirely right. Not only are they in... A difficult position in the league table at the moment and have a squad I'd suggest that's kind of top heavy in certain areas and yeah. and weak and imbalanced in others but I think as well kind of reflecting back on the last few years what's been quite apparent to us is it's just how many different voices are feeding into processes at times just how much in- <laughs> there's no one now is there <laughs> <laughs> well well the, the, there is no one but particularly on the footballing side and not certainly not with footballing pedigree as I would as I'd like to put it but at the same time then it's almost streamlined things to such an an extreme extent that it is basically now only the Everton board and the owner Farhad Mashiri feeding on on these things I suppose that means that there's a level of interference for the top that you wouldn't get in some other places um, certainly not when you look at kind of clubs in the centre of the table at the moment, like a Brighton or a Brentford. These are clubs that really do appear well run. So, in contrast to that, Everton see have seemed to me to be a bit of an outlier in in modern modern footballing terms. I think for Lampard, it's going to have to be, he's going to have to try and listen to the right people, kick out the voices and the personalities that he doesn't think are right. When, when, when they're talking, I think that's difficult to do. But then also, as Greg has said, solidify on the pitch. I mean, they are in they're in a relegation scrap as it stands right now. Mm. Two or three really important games coming up. And I think the other thing to add to this is that Everton fans are frustrated not only at the current situation, but also the lack of trophies now over a 27, 28 year, year period of time. This has been building up. This frustration has been building up year on year on year. And I suppose that means that sometimes we talk about giving managers time and allowing them to instill a philosophy, put put a blueprint in place. But in reality, actually, there's not much wiggle room or leniency here when it comes to managers getting things wrong because fans are so expectant. They, they've seen £500 million or more spent since Farhad Mashiri came into the club in 2016 with, let's be honest, little reward. They're no better off now than they were before Mashiri arrived. And actually, if you look at the league table, worse, much worse at this moment in time. So um, frustrations have bubbled under for a while, obviously come to the fore recently. And that makes this job difficult for Lampard. I have to admit, I saw those quotes from the Gary Neville podcast and I thought, 
I mean, yeah, in some ways Everton is the right profiler club for Frank Lampard, but he's talking about kind of owners that he can work with and stuff like that. I mean, he's he's, he's going to have to really put his foot down and stamp his mark on the club and, and get his points across quickly. I think for me as well, that's why I was quite surprised at this partnership between Lampard and, and Everton because for a fan base that is so desperate for trophies he doesn't have a ton of experience and we talked about the desperation for trophies with the Newcastle takeover, how that was such a focus for the fans about what they want to see in the future. But for Everton fans as well, there's that same kind of overwhelming hunger and desire, but at the same time, that's not going to come overnight, like you say. So how do you mitigate those fans who wanted Lampard over Pereira, which you know I think we'll touch on the reasons why, but Pereira's won things. You know, he's won a lot around the world. So it's interesting that Lampard was the man that a lot of fans wanted. I suppose there's a conflict here and and that's we're talking about a long period without silverware. But Everton's current financial predicament also necessitates that they need to head down a certain path and move towards sustainability. It's all well and good wanting trophies and experience and top names. But can Everton in this moment in time actually afford some of these guys, I mean, I would argue not. They, they more or less had to cast aside James Rodriguez over the summer because of his lofty wages. It's been well documented now that they're in trouble in terms of FFP and adherence to that. So they're having to do everything within their means to, to cut costs and streamline. This is why, to me at least, Lampard makes sense because you look what he did at Derby and probably more pertinently Chelsea. And it was all about developing young players and and kind of making something that was greater than the sum of the parts, in essence, um, holistically. If if he's going to do that with Everton's kind of brightest young talent, Anthony Gordon, Jared Branthwaite, Lewis Dobbin, who recently signed a new long-term deal despite interest from Germany, then I think that's probably the most sustainable route to success. How you keep everybody on board? Well, I guess you've got to win football matches. But as far as I'm concerned, the task this season is pretty simple now. It's purely about keeping Everton in the Premier League. Now, let's be honest, the the 16th in the table, if they they finish in kind of a comfortable position this year, the expectations can't be sky high next year because of because of what's happened this time around. So, it I I think now, hopefully there'll be a bit more patience. Hopefully, will people get will get behind them. And what I've sensed early doors is that actually people are quite optimistic and looking forward to to a fresh new approach after what was pretty turgid dour football under Benitez in the last six months? I mean, I guess in the short term, Everton need galvanising, and I think Frank Lampard probably is the right kind of character to do that. I think of Gerrard coming into Villa, players of, who were similar stature. The players will have all watched Gerrard play, and they're very on board with, with what he's doing at Villa. I feel like it will probably be a little bit the same at Everton. Now, someone who knows Frank Lampard very well is Dom Fifield, who covered Chelsea for the Athletics throughout his tenure in charge at Stamford Bridge. We asked him what sticks out in his memories from that time and also what Lampard ball is supposed to look like. start with some memories of Frank Lampard the manager at Chelsea really you have to bear in mind the context in which he came in back to the club in the summer of 2019 after a rather divisive Maurizio Sarri year in charge they sold Eden Hazard they were serving a two-window transfer ban through FIFA the mood was fairly was fairly downbeat and yet Lampard's appointment rejuvenated the place uh, really 
gave them some hope, a returning hero. Uh, he, he played a lot of young players. He blooded a lot of, of, of youngsters who weren't getting opportunities previously. Uh, we saw you know, Mason Mount integrated into the team. Reese James, who was on the, the verge of joining Crystal Palace, um, back in the team and, and you know starting that run into an England side. Callum hudson Adoy, Tammy Abraham, uh, Billy Gilmore, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, all these guys came into contention under Lampard. And, and that gave the whole club a real lift. Um, there were some memorable performances over both his years in charge, both his seasons in charge, even if we, we tend to remember the unravelling towards the end of the, or halfway through the second season. Um, you know, the away wins at uh, Arsenal and, and, and Tottenham Hotspur, the, the win in Ajax in the, in the Champions League, chaotic 4-4 Champions League draw with Ajax and the return fixture at Stamford Bridge, which was brilliantly entertaining, if if perhaps it offered a bit of an insight into some of the, the problems defensively that, that Chelsea would ultimately suffer. They outran Leeds United under under Marcello Bielsa to go top of the table when winning 3-1 at Stamford Bridge in that 17-match unbeaten run in the second season, back in, I think it was December 2020. His team's played expansive attacking football at times, and he will have played a part in convincing Donny van der Beek and, and Deli Alli to, to come to Goodison. But also the coaching staff, he's been quite shrewd with that. To see... To see Paul Clement in there, you know, someone who's 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 managed before, but also been an assistant to, to Carlo Ancelotti. Joe Edwards is a highly rated up-and-coming coach who's been with him previously. To retain Duncan Ferguson within the setup, to bring that familiarity with the club, I think that's quite a shrewd move as well. I think he will rejuvenate Everton in time as well, and and probably gives them their best chance of of kicking on over this last part of the season of all the candidates that they that were mentioned in terms of that job. Greg, is there anything from Lampard's time as manager at Chelsea and, and even Derby, I suppose, that, that fills you with hope and promise going into his now, his new era with Everton? Yeah, it's probably the most obvious one, but I think for a club that produces or has traditionally produced good young players and has one or two at the moment, um, namely sort of Anthony Gordon and Lewis Dobbin on the fringes of the first team for the latter, right in the first team for the former. Um, I think the, the the idea that he can get the best out of them, maybe even you know Tom Davies, a bit more of established first team player now, but again came through the academy. He can really get them playing. Ben Godfrey, a young player, didn't you know, Everton signed him from Norwich, and, but still a player with his best years ahead of him and raw edges, but a lot of potential. The idea that he can do what he did, similar at Stamford Bridge to Mason Mount and Rhys James and, and really help those players take the next step, um, I think is going to really excite the fans. And uh, we we spoke about, you know, Paddy and I and you know, friends of the Blues were chatting about how much it's important to have a manager these days who's relatable for younger players, who can sort of speak to them on a more, on a level in terms of he, they've won things recently, not long finished playing. Obviously, Gerard's got that effect and that instant respect of Philip Park. Benitez, you know, despite having won the Champions League and you know his, his fantastic CV, and maybe down to the way he is personally, you know, not the warmest. I don't think he had a huge bond, nor did he want a huge bond with the players. But I, I hope that's different with Lampard. And I think sometimes modern footballers are quite a complex breed, and they do need that type of manager who can inspire them and put an arm around them and, and, and help them get the best, especially younger players. And I think the potential for him to do that with uh, with Gordon and, and Davis in particular, Ben Godfrey, like I say, you know, loads of potential. 
Jordan Pickford's reasonably young for a goalkeeper. Let's hope that you know there's there's a level he can step up to even further. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how he can impact Everton's young players. Flo, before we go to a break, Lampard's backroom staff has, has pretty much been confirmed now. I think so. There's no Jody Morris, so there's been a little bit of a shake-up. Seems some sensible additions in there: Paul Clement and Joe Edwards, and then maybe perhaps Ashley Cole as well. I mean, friend of the show, John Terry's going to be upset because I believe that was his planned coaching staff: Paul Clement and Ashley Cole when he moves away from managing uh, Kid Ape FC or whatever they're called <laughs> nowadays. So he might be a little bit upset with, with that coaching shake-up. But what do you make of that? I think it's interesting because I think the downside of Lampard's era at Chelsea was there didn't seem to be much versatility. He didn't necessarily know how to change games, which is one of Thomas Tuchel's best assets is he is an unbelievable coach when it comes to being able to affect games, being able to change games. You can see how well he understands every match and every scenario. And I think Lampard struggled with that. So I think it's interesting where he's definitely gone for quite specific roles where people with lots of coaching experience, which he probably knows himself, he doesn't yet have, because they might be able to take him to the next level. And I'm very intrigued to see how it works in that sense, because I think he's probably acknowledged where he was lacking and and trying to do better. And, and perhaps we are going to see a much more improved Frank Lampard edition of, of, of being a manager, because... I certainly wasn't massively impressed with what he did at Chelsea, but I think he was what they needed at the time, which was exactly that, you know, blooding in young players because he, he had the transfer embargo. And also for Everton, and this is why I think, you know, a, a Rooney or a Duncan Ferguson appointment would have been similar for them to what Chelsea did is they need a feel-good factor. And, you know, we did a whole pod practically on sort of nostalgia of appointments and and how important that is for clubs. And I think for Everton's fans, they're desperate to feel a connection with the manager, to feel a connection to the players, to, to get a good, positive culture back at the club. And even though Lampard is not an Everton legend, I think he can bring that. And he did that in spades at Chelsea and they needed that to buy them some time until they could then kick on back up to, to the top of European football. And... I think probably Everton fans are hoping he can do the same. I hold that thought because we're going to talk about Wayne Rooney when we come back. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. We're also going to talk about Deli Alley, how badly he needed to change his scenery. So stay with us. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. I think um, when you you want to become a manager and you become a manager, your ambitions are to manage at the top. 
I'm not I'm not stupid. I know obviously we've seen seen happen with Frank as well. You need to make sure you're learning every day and, and gaining experience. Um, because when you go into the them them teams and Manchester United, um, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, the pressure to deliver is is on you from the day you walk in. Um so I need to make sure I keep keep working, keep trying to push Derby forward. Um, and I'm sure when the time comes, the right time will come at some some point in the future for me to then go and challenge myself. But the first thing I want to do is get Derby back to where I feel they belong. So that was Wayne Rooney speaking to Alan Shearer for The Athletic just recently. I think it's really interesting that he references Lampard in that because I feel like even though it seems like Rooney was perhaps a bit disappointed that he wasn't approached sooner for the job and you guys reference that in the piece, I imagine he would have seen what happened to Lampard at Chelsea and it might have put him off a little bit knowing that perhaps it would be better to go back to Everton once he'd experienced a bit more as a coach and the pressure might be off a little bit because he would have you know, built up his CV and he will be an even better manager than perhaps he is now. Do you think that had some impact? I think the interesting thing for Wayne Rooney is that he's obviously still an Everton fan. And as such, he's going to have a pretty good understanding of what's happening at the club right now, where the strengths and weaknesses lie. He will know, for example, that as we've discussed, it's not an easy job. There's a lot of stuff you need to get right. And also, I think at the moment, his stock's quite high at Derby. He's he's doing a good job there. And if he were to continue in this vein until the end of the season, then I'd argue it would be a better place to take on a project after that and kick it on further. I think most managers would much rather start afresh and anew at, at, at the start of a season and look to instill their methods that way rather than come in, coming into a troubled club by virtue of the fact that there's there's obviously been issues with with previous managers and then kind of having to get a tune out of out of the squad so i think that will have been on his mind certainly but i also think obviously i mean we we referenced this in our long piece on on the appointment of lampard i think the actual situation as we understand it from the people we've spoken to is a little bit different to to some of what what's out there currently I, I, I do think he probably would have had more of a conversation with Everton if they'd come to the table sooner. It must have been a bit of a slight to him. This is my logical leap. This is my personal opinion. It must have been a bit of a slight to him to see Lampard, Pereira, all these other names being linked with the job and getting interviewed. And then for him to, to almost be asked as an afterthought to, to take part in some kind of process, uh, fact-finding mission for, for future appointments. So... I think that's also fed into this as well. Wayne Rooney, as it stands, will come out of the whole Derby ordeal looking pretty good, uh, smell, smelling of roses. And I don't think this is necessarily the end of, of a potential union with Everton or, a, or or even his chances of managing in the Premier League. If To, to be honest, he, he's probably better where he is. Get, let Frank Lampard try and stabilise Everton and then he can see where he is and where Everton are in, in the years to come. And of course, the excitement continued as late as Monday night. Deli Ali signed on a free, Greg. Before we get onto the player and how he actually fits in at Everton, Adam Crafton described this deal as having the weirdest structure he'd ever seen. I think I agree with that. Can you just explain the deal for those who might not know a lot about it? Yeah, sure, I can explain it as far as we know. Uh, I think the, the full 
extend to the financials will emerge over the next couple of days. But in, in, certainly in the first instance, it is an unusual deal. There's no there's no down payment initially. There's no transfer fee. So Deli Ali becomes an Everton player for effectively free. But then after he's made 20 appearances, Everton pay 10 million initially to Tottenham. Now, there's only 18 Premier League games left and Deli Alli's cup tied. Everton are only in the FA Cup. So it's not going to happen this season. At the best, it will happen. Maybe start next, uh, if all goes well. So Everton have tried to de-risk it from their point of view in the sense that if he makes 20 appearances, you'd like to imagine that's because, you know, he, a sign that he's getting in the team regularly, he's having an impact. He's maybe capturing the levels that, that we've seen him play at two years ago. Uh, I think the headline figures, you know, suggestion is that Tottenham have, have heavily incentivized it down the line. So some reports were talking about a 40 million, potentially 40 million fee in increments. I'd like to, to think for Everton's point of view, that, that would be, because that would, you know, be a club record fee. But I think that would only be triggered if he's absolutely hit the heights of when he was, you know, sort of winning the Young Player of the Year, PFA Young Player of the Year, and, and he's helped Everton win a, some silverware. I think that could, from my point of view, that can be the only way that uh, that would ever get that high. But it, it's an unusual deal. Um, obviously, Everton, it appealed to them because they were unable to loan him. They'd already taken up their two domestic loans. As you know, Dan, one the man while Garzi. So, I mean, it's hilarious. Garzi had gone to Everton already. Well, and it's easy enough to do. And, uh, you I know, think he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't even wanted by the manager who signed him on loan. And God knows what Frank Lampard thinks about it. It's just, this is Everton. There you go. Um, he'll either be a massive hit despite everything or he'll just make a handful of appearances and be back at back at you in the summer. But anyway, so Lampard was was excited the prospect of, he thinks he can get the best out of Deli Alley. He thinks he can revive his career. And you know, Everton had to do it permanently. So they had to, obviously, they were, they were unable because of, their constraints via financial fair play or the Premier League profit and sustainability rules. They're unable to spend big, especially after shouting out for a couple of fullbacks earlier in the window, albeit kind of balanced a bit by the fee they brought in for Luca Dean. So, um, yeah, the free transfer works for them, certainly in the first instance. This is pure speculation on my behalf. I don't even know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So they've got their Lampard and Deli Ali, I believe, have got the same agent. Yeah. I think, I think I'm right. They're at the same that. agency, yeah. 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 So Deli Ali is he's coming on board with Frank Lampard. It feels like that deal wouldn't have happened unless Frank Lampard had, had got the Everton job. Everton had that famous spell where you just felt like they were a team of number 10s. Then all this season you felt like they haven't got any number 10s. And now we're back to, well, they've signed Van der Beek, they've signed Deli Ali. How are they going to fit those number 10s in? It, it just all feels a bit strange, doesn't it? Paddy, yeah, Paddy, we, Paddy and I were chatting about this yesterday. Um <laughs> I mean, Pad, please expand on this, but I, I do. I'll be intrigued to see that. I don't think my guess would be that I don't think that they'll play Van der Beek as a ten. Okay. Um, and Deli Ali, I'm not even sure what Deli Ali's best position is. Whether he's like a sort of second forward or he's not a conventional central midfielder. Pad, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, I I saw a video earlier of Frank Lampard talking about Deli Ali. It must have been a couple of years ago. Now he was talking to Sky Sports. And he, he described Delhi as a second striker. 
special players. Deli Ali is a special player. Chris has tweeted in, does Frank wish he could be as good as Deli Ali? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's better than me when I was 20, that's for sure. It's uh, amazing, isn't it, what he's yeah. done this season? It is, and uh, he's playing his goal, I don't know how many goals, 11 in 13, mm. should be, but, mm. I mean, he is like a second striker at the moment, but I think that makes sense because the way they play uh, and, the, and the quality he has around the box, he needs to be up there all the time. And he's just got the knack for runs, he scores great goals like he did yesterday, but seeing goals that he scored in the week against Swansea, and he was running in the six-yard box. And, and too many attacking midfield players get towards the penalty spot and stop and don't go with an extra mile. And there are so many goals to be had and he, he does both sides. Yeah. Mm. And I, I, still, I still think that's the best way to, to kind of package him and pigeonhole him. He's not really a central midfielder if you look at it in a conventional sense. All his best work for me is drifting off the, the, the normally the lone striker, getting into the box, getting on the end of things. For Everton, I suppose the closest comparison in recent years would be a Tim Cahill kind of player who's yeah, never, yeah, that's a good comparison. never never a central midfielder. The, the slight issue I've got with this tactically is that I also think that's Donny van der Beek's role. <laughs> and I suppose you've, you've raised this yourself, Dan. There's two players there that are probably better certainly in the final third and looking to push on and get into the box. Um, so how Lampard accommodates both of them, I'm not entirely sure. I suppose if you play them both as kind of number eight in Lampard's usual 4-3-3, then you're going to have to have somebody just sat in there behind them, mopping up and providing providing the legs. I mean, Everton have got Abdoulaye Ducore. Um, Ducore could maybe do that role. Alan could do some of that role. Um What's an intriguing prospect? They've gone from having no number 10s, as you say, to to two. The other thing here is that I think it's been really interesting to see what, what Lampard's targeted straight off the hoof with Everton. You've you've had a side this season that's got used to playing reactive, counter-attacking football, not much build-up play at all, and certainly not many sequences of 10 or more passes, if, if you're going to look at those up to stats. Lampard, obviously, is in the main a possession-centric manager, a possession-oriented manager. He wants to press high, win the ball back and dominate the opposition, both in, in terms of territory and in terms of possession. He needs players like Ali and van der Beek to do that. He needs to, to help with that transition from one style to another. He needs those guys to, to do that. And certainly in midfield, I think Everton have really struggled for a lack of ball players since James left in particular. So Ali, I think this is why Ali and van der Beek make so much sense in, in one way for Lampard. It helps the transition, it smooths the transition. I think those two are going to be pivotal to how he gets on for the remainder of the season. I almost think they're kind of the bellwether for how, how Lampard's Everton are likely to do between now now and that kind of kind of really crucial moment in May. With the, the, the Ali deal as well, is, is part of that sort of staggered approach, is, is that linked as well to the financial issues that Everton are facing that you know, it, it works in their favour to delay any money that they might need to pay for any transfers. Yeah, absolutely. In in accountancy terms, Everton's financial year, when they release their accounts, runs out on the 30th of June. What Greg was saying earlier is entirely right in, in that there are, there are not 20 games to play for the remainder of this season. So the earliest Delhi Ali could trigger that 20-game clause, it would, would be a, a August, sorry. That then would fall, that payment would then yeah. fall into the next set of accounts, which I suppose doesn't completely absolve Everton of any kind of FFP issues, but it does kick the can further down the line. 
and incentivize. I, I quite like these incentivized deals because I, I, th- I think... I, th- I think I also think- with the pandemic, right, it works that clubs are struggling, they need to get wage bills off their books, but and a lot of them don't have cash to, to pay transfer fees, however, even if they stagger them. This is kind of, I feel like, the, the future... Yeah, I mean, and it should be as well. I mean, we, Everton have, have had lots of players on big, big wages over the last few years. And players, to be honest, I haven't really even contributed that much. They've been either sat on the bench or on the periphery. Um, Fabian Delph, for example, perennially injured, but on a very decent pay, pay packet after coming from Manchester City. Can't just single him out. There, there are plenty of others. Bernard left to go to... Um, to the Middle East over the summer. He was one of Everton's highest paid players, but at times wasn't even making the bench last season. And I suppose that was a symbol of the waste at Everton, the excess at Everton over over an extended period of time. That's why they need now, I suppose, they need to cut their cloth accordingly, start to make more financially minded decisions, more sustainable decisions. Maybe Delhi will be that. Maybe he won't. I suppose it depends on how he how he does. But at the very least, it kicks the the issue with FFP slightly further down the line. Yeah, and it seems as well. There's so many crossovers with with QPR in this sense, going right down to some of the agents involved at, at the heart of it as well. I, I tweeted recently that Everton felt like they were very much in the cycle that Villa were in before they before they went down. Just, just treading water every season, so many bad decisions, and eventually it does end up catching up with you. Greg, before we let you go, do you think this kind of gets rid of that of that worry now? Frank Lampard coming in, do you think that's the kind of decision that can stop them in the cycle that they're in at the moment? And would you think they're now looking up rather than down? Only time can tell. It's either going to be another bad decision that backfires, and he'll get the sack in the summer or next January, or it'll be the start of something quite special. It, it's really difficult to tell. It, it's, quite, it's quite scary listening to, you know, obviously a, a long-time Villa fan like you describe that. And it's it's, it's kind of quite an eye-opener, really, because, you know, in many ways, this is why, although Everton's position on the table isn't as perilous as, you know, obviously the teams below them stating the bleeding obvious there, but it is because they've got that downward momentum, and you're right, they've had tried so many different things. They've tried the absolute winner in Ancelotti and finished 12th and 11th, 11th and 12th. They've tried Benitez, the steady pair of hands, and, you know, yeah, that hasn't worked. Before that, they had the young manager, Marco Silva, and um, it's another lurch in a different direction. I think it's a more positive appointment. And it, it's still risky, but it, it, I think from all the candidates available, it, he was the best one. And... Uh, I really, really hope it works, but uh, I'm not trying to sit on the fence when I genuinely say because it, Everton has been such a, a club of change and turmoil and difficulty to read over the past five, six years. We'll know, we'll know in in the summer. I think he's either going to kind of transform their fortunes and this is going to click, and it, you know it'll be the, like I say, he's got a two and a half year contract. He could be looking to really build a legacy at Everton, and and it's the financial resources are there. Yes, we've spoken about the restraints at the moment, but that hopefully will pass. They're going into a new stadium in a couple of years' time on the banks of the River Mersey. There, you know, it is going to be a truly iconic ground, fifty-five thousand capacity. Uh, you know, wonderful place to go and play football. Um, but they need to be in the Premier League to do that, obviously. So uh, yeah, just plenty to see. It's if anything, it's intriguing. It's the most intriguing choice, I think, that they've been of other the ones they've been linked with. 
Um, so I'm excited to see what happens. But yeah, who knows if it's the right choice. It has been a rough couple of years and, and you could argue that they've, they've been on a downward spiral since Mashiri joined, more or less, in, in 2016. I'm still not of the opinion that it has to be a terminal decline. I still think that they're in a situation now where they they still have kind of concerted strengths. I mean, you look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front. Damari Gray's done really well. Anthony Gordon and, and Lewis Dobbin are good young prospects in the striking and striking positions. Ducore Alan in midfield with, with Ali and Van der Beek. There are some strengths here and there is a young core emerging. I suppose what it's needed and what it's needed for some time, to be honest, is decisive intervention for Everton to learn from the mistakes they've made in the transfer market and with managerial appointments. As Greg said, that this is still a risky appointment, but an appointment to this stage in the season was always going to be risky. You weren't going to be able to go and pluck a, a Graham Potter or even, a, I mean, it wouldn't be in this case, but even a Steven Gerrard type from Aston Villa. These these solutions that kind of seem easy, easy on the eye and easy to everybody, they're not there at this point in, mm. in the season. So it was always going to be kind of a risk to some extent but I do see at least some evidence that Everton are look at th- looking at this now and starting to think about what they need to do to get out of the mess financially what they need to do in terms of the squad to transition beyond that and I suppose that's why there is a little bit more optimism now than there was two to three weeks ago well definitely never boring with Everton, although actually, I suppose sometimes it is, and that's why we're here talking about them. But guys, thanks ever so much for coming on and chatting with us. Thanks, boys. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Just about time for us to highlight some of the other great writing that's up on the site right now. Flo, anything you've enjoyed? Yeah, so obviously a few months ago we, we, we covered the NWSL in one of our podcasts and that brilliant piece of investigative journalism from Meg Linehan. And yesterday was a groundbreaking day in the, in the league because they the players and um, the league have negotiated the first ever collective bargaining agreement in the history. And for those that don't know about CBAs, they're very unique to US sports. So if you like NBA, you like NFL, 
NHL, whatever, you'll be quite familiar with them. And they didn't have this before. Um, and going moving forward, this is going to be sort of critical for players' rights and well-being. Yeah, one of the things they've managed to negotiate as well is an increase in the league's minimum salary, which will go up to $35,000 a year. And it was only 22000 last year. So a massive step up for them. And uh, Meg's written a brilliant piece sort of detailing what is in the CBA and also what that might mean for women's football in America going forward. Lovely stuff. I've been reading Jordan Campbell and Mark Carey's piece on Aaron Ramsey, who they say is Rangers' biggest signing since Gaza. Probably one of the more intriguing moves of January again, something that I didn't really see coming yesterday on transfer deadline day when that went through. So I've been learning all about that. Flo, thanks ever so much for joining me as always. And our thanks goes to both Greg and Paddy as well. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening as well. Get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts and do leave us a review if you are enjoying the show. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater reconvene to discuss the business of sport tomorrow. We hope you'll join us again. The Athletic.